0: back to the neil haley show and this story is very inspirational and he has a tremendous mission so i'm excited to welcome program edward smile rodriguez edward thanks for stopping by man how are you
1: oh i'm doing fantastic neil i'm really happy that you asked me to your show
0: absolutely let's kind of go into this first a little bit of your background then we're going to talk about the challenges you're going through and now how you're overcoming those challenges with such a great mission but let's first learn your background
1: Thank you. Yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges going on. And, and, you know, I have been blessed to be able to find ways to get through them and come out the other side, you know, spreading happiness, spreading joy and doing whatever I can to uplift the people that I meet every single day.
0: Awesome. So what so basically tell us the story where I want to know what your background is like, what do you do that type of stuff and how it led to what happened?
1: Well, I had a construction business for many years doing acoustical ceilings. I had 11 guys that worked for me. Uh, I was very, very successful. I was blessed with that, with very good people. Um, And, you know, I did a lot of handyman work. I I had a cerebral hemorrhage in 2006. So that that kind of brought my business down, and I wasn't able to do the business. And then after I I kind of recovered, I started doing handyman business. And and I was known as the happy handyman, Um, (laughs) you know. It's, it, it somehow seems that everything that surrounds me comes back to the smile because the smile is actually what actually saved my life.
0: All right. So let's talk about how the smile saved your life.
1: Well, you know, after I had that cerebral hemorrhage, uh, it was like, you know, I was out of it. I did right. not know what I was doing. Um, I was in a funk. I, I had the worst headache of my life for four months. Okay, And I needed something to really start lifting me up. My kids, they were great. They started bringing me funny stories They were reading them to me. They were bringing funny shows, anything that I could laugh at. And so I started laughing like crazy. And then my head would pound. And I would laugh because my head was pounding so hard because I was laughing. You know, so it, it turned out absolutely beautiful. And as you know, laughter releases endorphins that can heal your body. No doubt. Yeah. So I, I was able to get through it and come out the other side. St- Side, you know after i had my hemorrhage i fell into a depression so the laughter the smiles and my my daughter's smile actually got me through it saved my life
0: wow and so then basically what made you the so that that, that giving the gimmick i call it a gimmick some former professional wrestler smile and talking about how and look at your branding right now what's the smile and how you're trying to teach people to smile because the truth is if you know if you're not smiling you're not laughing. You're not having fun in what you do. What the heck are you doing it for? You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what kills us. We're, we're not smiling. We're, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we're not laughing. We're not having fun at what we do. It drains right. us. It drains our health. It drains us in so many aspects. So tell me how you came on, the, got on this mission.
1: Well, the think it's what people call tragedy. Okay. And I call it gifts that were given to me by the universe, okay? Uh, first of all, my I brought in a business partner and I, basically having him run the whole business. And I was going to step out and become a motivational speaker. And he kind of took me for about $250,000 oh, so no. he could build his own business. <laughs> Doesn't make you laugh. <laughs> uh, but anyway five months after that and this is something that happened in a nine-month period okay so first it was it was the taking of the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then five months later my oldest daughter was in a moped accident in korea with she was in with her husband and she hit her head and 45 days later she passed away oh my Um, gosh yeah that is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life and then four months after that happened, I had a cerebral hemorrhage and had three veins that burst in the back of my brain, filled my brain with blood. And they told my ex-wife, "Call the family. He's dead tonight." And I fell into a depression. What else could I do? Right. I didn't know how to smile anymore. And so I decided I had to find something. I wasn't going to take, uh, you know, antidepressants and any kind of type of drugs to get out of my depression. So I started thinking, what is it that I can do? And I realized that in that ugly package where my daughter passed away was a gift. And that gift was her smile, her energy,
2: yeah,
1: love. And so I decided that I was going to collect 10 million smiles in my lifetime. And I started going around like a nut, smiling, waving at everybody, saying, hey, smile and wave. You know, this is my, my name's Eddie. This is what I do. How can I help you? And just i all kinds some crazy stuff, you know? And it turned out actually fantastic. It turned me around, saved my life, and I just been going ever since.
0: Wow. Okay, so that's just such a great story. With tragedy comes opportunity in a way of how can I, why am I put on this earth? And from exactly. seeing, oh God, this is what's happening to me, I'm going to make the best of it. So what's new with what you're doing? Are you going to get to the 10 million smiles? Or are you getting there? How far are you away?
1: I, I think I probably passed that a long time ago, you know, because I, I did a walk one time from, from Florida uh, to Manhattan, New York. It's a little place called Deerfield Beach in Florida. There's a pier there. Uh, I walked, you know, 2,000 miles away. I did it because I didn't walk straight up. I took the coast and I walked wow. for happiness awareness. Yeah. Started with $200, ended with $200, never knew where I was going to eat, where I was going to sleep, or what I was going to do in the day. And I got to tell you, I was able to prove that people are inherently good. They will step up and help you along the way if you
0: allow them. That's fantastic. So what's going on with, is it an organization now? You're, I know you're a speaker. Yes. But what are, what are, what is all of it? It's so exciting because, I mean, the smile... Is this something I, I guess you got to I guess everyone, the homework assignment from we're learning from Eddie today is guess what? How many times are we going to smile till we go to bed tonight? Or when we watch this radio, listen to this radio interview or watch this podcast, how many times are you going to smile? And, I, and just because you bring up the word smile, I'm smiling more now than I was because I had a pretty good day. But what about yeah. when you have a great day? I'm going to smile at times. I'm going to put on a fake smile, but you really have to bring, put on that new smile. So what, where are you going now? With this? What's the next mission for you?
1: Well, actually what I'm doing right now for the last two and a half years, um, after I did that walk, I wanted to do another one, but colon cancer stopped me in 2014. Okay. I said, Whoa, Eddie, wait a second. You're not going anywhere. And I was like, okay. So I decided to wait. And then I said, 2017, I was like, boom, I got to go. And I found out I have stage four colon cancer. (laughs) The universe wasn't messing around with me. It said, hey, you're going to sit down. And I said, no, I'm not. So I wrapped my van and now I drive across the country spreading smiles. I've got smiles on my van. So when I drive down the street, everybody can see it. Says, your smile is amazing. Uh, Happiness is one smile away. And I just, I go everywhere. I went to 18 states last year. Probably going to go to more now this year. I went to Canada like three weeks ago. They invited me in to spread my smiles at a pickleball tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just one of those things that the the smile is now in my DNA. It's so great. Yeah, so, yeah. No. It's it's fantastic. And I pass out cards that say your smile is amazing. Thank you for sharing. And it's got a little thing about my mission on the back. And I hand it to people. And you would. You, it's it's incredible. The way that people light up and they go, this is exactly what I needed today.
0: Well, some people need smiles because they're not happy. That, and you look at what's really going on in your life and what you're really, truly enjoying, and that makes you smile. Or yeah. some, or, or one of your children, or one of your experiences, or really relish a great day. Things went well. Smile. Or yes. you know, when we're working out, we have a great workout, we feel great. Smile. When we are having a good conversation with someone we care about, smile. I guess that's what you're pretty much telling us, is to smile, smile, and smile again. And I'm looking at this little camera, you know, in Zoom, and I'm really not even seeing your eyes, but I can tell from your aura, you're making me smile more. So you're doing the mission. What's so, where, how can people, so is it a, do you have a non-for-profit or how's this? Yes, I do. how's How's it work?
1: Yeah, I have a 501c3 it's 10 million smiles. It's an umbrella of another nonprofit. Okay. So I get to operate underneath them. Okay. And if they want to get a hold of me or something like that, you can go to Edward Smile Rodriguez on Facebook. And also you can go to my website, which is the smile and wave project.com, uh, which is, it's, it's a site that I, I built myself. So I'm 65 years old, or will be in August this month. You don't look I'm 65. 65. You don't look so it's 65. not a 16-year-old that knows what he's doing, okay? It's this old man that built this site and doing the best he can. Right.
0: <laughs> so we'll continue to bring smiles to everyone. I appreciate, Eddie, coming by, and you have a great mission, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you
1: so much, Neil. You have a wonderful no. day. Keep smiling. Stay safe. And be happy, everybody out
0: there. You're loved. I know it. All right, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. And I guess this is the first title of a book that just made me think. And that's why I'm excited about my guest, Devanan uh, Hubert. He's my guest. He's the author of Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. Man, thanks for stopping by. And I, the title already throws me. All right. so And I'm sure everyone, and that's the name of your podcast as well, right?
3: um yes i like to be complicated and simple at the same time see i got you with the title yes i make it really easy to find everything too
0: exactly everyone can find this because has ever anyone ever created a title like that the cover of your book is amazing the website is amazing you are a creative beyond belief so before writing the book what kind of tell us your background
3: well, the inspiration that goes into the book is my background because this memoir covers my life up until this year. I'm about to turn forty in a couple of months, and you I don't cannot
0: look forty at all. You do oh, not look forty.
3: Thank you, sugar. Yes, yas. And so I can't wait to be forty so I can officially become a cougar. And so, um, and so, yeah. It talks about like my abusive childhood, uh, going to the military, serving in there during don't ask, don't tell. Fast forward, I'm at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, doing my thing till Joel Osteen and his cronies decide that I'm too gay to serve there. So I get kicked out of there. I get all depressed, end up being a drug dealer and everything, and find out I have HIV on a voicemail several New Year's Eve's ago. And you know, now we're back here now and life is great, essentially.
0: <laughs> okay, so you got to buy the book to find out the whole story that. Not- um, Wow, okay. So, so basically, you know, did you find another church after that experience?
3: I only went back to church because I was connected to my, to my spiritual uh, leader from my childhood. After she died, it was never really worth going back to church. So I don't fool with churches anymore. I, I say like Gandhi said, you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians, and my, my personal quote is the further I get away from churches, the closer I get to God.
0: I see. So you see more of a spiritual realm in you as a spiritual person more than anything.
3: Then, Whatever title you want to put on it. But I believe in the Trinity. I don't believe so much in organized religion and churches because I think he's greater than them.
0: Okay. So let's talk about specifically enough, just the, the one when you went to write the book what were people's responses? Like, especially the title and everything, what what were you getting right off the bat?
3: Most people would agree with you. At it, it, first, it would seem like it's on the nose, but it flows with my personality, you know? And I thought about the things that most people really enjoy and crave and just really want to suck the juice out of, out of anything that they consume. And every kind of show you see is going to have some sort of sex, sexual element to it, some sort of, enlightenment factor that's really what the jesus stands for and um and then drugs just really people just want to feel good man and most of us have done something so i thought it would be a relatable title
0: no it's definitely it could be a relatable movie uh to say the least and then you created the podcast is it related to that who do you interview on your podcast
3: Mm. I like to have, have a mix of people who we might consider to be experts, our colleagues from the media field, and also our, our, you know, strong citizens from within the community. So I'll interview fellow podcasters, fellow authors, but then I'll also talk to people like, say, my own personal physician assistant who's been seeing me for the last 10 years. I did a show with her to talk about STDs and diseases and examine my own personal health and things like that.
0: So I got it. So again, being you said so you tested positive for HIV. How do you treat yourself in that type of situation is a lot different than the days when Magic Johnson came.
3: Well, the first thing is that the whole mental health aspect of it. Sure, I take a pill to keep the virus suppressed, but the way it threw me mentally was what I didn't see coming. And so you had to treat HIV with mental health and medicine and physical health too you know, in order to stay on top of it.
0: Wow. And then that's powerful. But your book has been able, I'm sure been able to reach a lot of people to talk about a topic that is still taboo in a lot of ways, HIV and then and being testing positive. And everything, right.
3: Right. One, one could fall into the trap and begin to labor under the delusion that HIV is so like mainstream now, it's whatever, but nothing will ever make you feel good about feeling like your body's been invaded by something you can't get rid of. And so... Yes, people do reach out to me with their fresh positive HIV diagnoses, wanting to know what's going on and what they could do. Uh, People still have stigmas in their minds about HIV. They think if we touch them, they're going to get dirty, that they don't want us to eat after them. I still hear this sort of stuff. So it's out there.
0: (laughs) And how do they break that stigma? It took forever in certain other things. How would people break that stigma to understand of what it came when the history of it when it first came out to now and understand to not be as fearful about it and everything. Well, the first,
3: the first thing people have to do is recognize fear and that heightened emotion when it comes. We don't have to accept every emotion and thought that comes to our head. So recognize fear when it's trying to prevail over you and then gain knowledge. So when fear comes go, I could be fearful here but maybe I'll educate myself. So you talk to people. You turn on a good show like Pose, baby, okay, and follow everybody as they death drop across the stage and bring out all of, those, <laughs> all of those moments. You grab books, whatever your media is, watch documentaries. It's all out there if they want to learn.
0: And that's the key thing, if they want to learn, and that's the whole part of the education things. So you're doing the book, you're doing the podcast. What's the ultimate goal with all this? Because it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of toil. And what are your what's your ultimate goal?
3: Now, honey, you're telling it right there. Like as Mama Rue Paul would say, you better work. And so it is a lot of work, 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 work. And my ultimate goal is to not forfeit and take for granted the miraculous deliverance that I was given to be able to be resurrected from being a, a homeless, uh, drug addicted, dope fiend. And I mean, dope thing, just describing myself. I don't think that people are negative because they're on drugs, right. you know, in Houston, Texas, to almost dying so many times to being where I am today. So my burden of responsibility is transparency. And so my podcast and my book is all about putting myself out on display in painstaking detail so that everyone can feel they're not alone.
0: So what are you doing now after, you know, being homeless not homeless anymore, Right. And transforming yourself after you, what you went through you know in olstein's church and all that stuff and trusting and losing trust issues to hiv to all this and where where, where are you today
3: well today honey i am very very happy i accept myself i finally started to accept myself and i don't judge myself anymore so i'm working on getting the voices from the church and from the military and from my dad's abusive house out of my head and i'm doing that through hypnotherapy, you know, counseling sessions, a lot of prayer and meditation. And now that psychedelics have become a thing, I'm poking my nose into the possibilities because of the research that they're having with veterans, which I'm a veteran with PTSD and how in a clinical setting, how psychedelics can be used. So I'm sharing my story and I'm still discovering myself.
0: You're still discovering yourself. And what is, so what is next? Like, what do you, so you're you're. Do you have a business with all the the podcasts and the books, or what are you doing?
3: Well, they're all under down under media. They, um, if, you know, in terms of the business aspect. So, so yes. Um, I mean, I have an audio book which I narrated myself. Uh, I have my Kindle book, the paperback, the hardback, and then I have the podcast as well, which I'm learning how to monetize. And the name is Down Under Media because my first legitimate business after being a drug dealer was uh, selling underwear. And I opened a lingerie store in a little flea market outside of Baton Rouge. And now it's a, this huge online store and we ship worldwide. And so oh, my lingerie store is my baby because I have an underwear fetish like you wouldn't believe.
0: Okay. Well, so you see, see. There you go. See, so you got to be telling those stories. Maybe that's why you contacted me because you have such an amazing brand. I mean, I'm just going to go and pop. It's probably, it, your website is amazing. It is so, the picture is nice. It's so smooth. You have the different blog and everything. How did you, who, who could you credit for designing that website unless you did it?
3: Oh, you go to 99designs.com. That's where you go. Whenever you want to get something created, you can post one job description and have many different people submit ideas for it. Book covers, CD covers, postcards.
0: It's so well done. It's so well done that website. I mean, your brand is, I mean, your book cover, your brand, that's great to push 99 designs. So it's better than Upwork in those places, in your opinion.
3: It's targeted specifically for design. And I use Upwork and Fiverr and all of that, but if you want a book cover, 99 Designs is what it's all about because Upwork Upwork is going to give you a little bit more work. People will hit you up. It's just different. Like it's design for design. That's what they're all about.
0: You need need to get a sponsorship for that for plugging that on the show. They should sponsor (laughs) your podcast. And so so it's interesting. So you've grown this lingerie business. So that's your baby. That's what you spend most of your time. But you love the other stuff too, right? Everything's important. Because you want to make a difference and transform people and live a happy life, right? That's the goal.
3: Well, I'll tell you exactly how my week is broken down. Oh, sure. On Mondays, I, on Mondays, I actually write music. Okay. On Tuesday, I focus on podcasting, cutting my show, editing it, getting ready for release on Thursday. On Wednesdays, I focus on Down Under. On Thursdays, I focus on authorship, writing books, because I'm working on two other books right now, too. And then by Friday, I need a glass of champagne.
0: I So you don't want to know my schedule, man. Yours is pretty busy. That's great. You can focus on one thing. That's a, a different thing so that you don't get caught up in all these things. You're putting the whole of your focus and effort into that day.
3: I bet you have a wonderful schedule, darling. A wonderful schedule.
0: Oh, yeah. You got to do that for sure. And so best place, well, let's go lingerie business first. Then your the website for your... For your book, right? You have two different websites, then, right?
3: I have two. Boo, two.
0: <laughs> Tell me the website. The first
3: one, the first one, two, and the first one is downunderapparel.com. Okay. And then the second one is
0: sexdrugsandjesus.com. And you are you're you're definitely a marketing person. You really know how to create a interesting brand. Are we thinking about reality show at one point for you too.
3: Child, I want it all. I want my own syndicated show. I want reality shows. I want to go on documentaries. I want everything. I just want it all.
0: All right, so everyone needs to check them out. I appreciate it. We well, definitely have you back on again. You're amazing, and thanks again. Thank you, doll, and thank you you're so all, much. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment, I'm excited to welcome program my first, my co-host, Greg Hanna from Toss C3. Greg, how are you, man? And you know, it's always interesting to talk to different celebrities and athletes and learn their backgrounds. You've been learning a lot so far since we've been doing this, right?
2: Uh, it's been phenomenal. All the guests have been amazing. I can't wait to talk yeah. to our guests today.
0: Absolutely. So I'm excited to welcome the program uh, former college and NFL player Kyle Offray. Uh, Kyle thanks for stopping by man and let's kind of go through uh understanding you. Did you where did you grow up and did you always want to be a football player?
4: Um born and raised in New York, um just uh north of New York City, uh, upstate near West Point. Um and as of fourth no, yeah, third grade I think, my first uh those old letters you have to yourself in third grade was you know what your goal is what do you want to do everyone was a fireman or police and I I've been writing since third grade I want to be in the NFL so that was uh, always what I wanted to do I grew up uh, watching the 90s Cowboys when the Cowboys used to be good Um, my dad grew up a Jets fan which never really helped the football argument but um, and still to this day sorry for any Jets fans out there but um, just grew up, we always, you know, was football was on Sundays for us, grew up watching the NFL and was always, uh, um, wanted to, wanted to play. I was a Brett Favre, Peyton Manning kind of guy. And that's, uh, those were kind of my, uh, role models kind of growing up.
0: Okay. All right. So, and, uh, very interesting, Greg, so far what we're learning about Kyle and always wanting to be a football star. That's usually what we hear when we talk to athletes, right, Greg?
2: Uh, it's It's really true. Um, but, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, at, at at the third grade, you're talking about the power of focus and attraction. I mean, you put that on a piece of paper in third grade and you burn that into, you know, your future. That's pretty amazing. Have you done that your whole life? Did you continue doing that with other areas?
4: Yes, yes. I would say uh, the short answer is yes. So for for me, it was just, I was just, uh, I don't want to say different growing up. I just had, and even to this day, I just always had different priorities than everyone else. I didn't really grow up playing video games. I always wanted to be outside. I always wanted to be playing sports. My dad was a, a two-sport college athlete. Um, so I just always, on on Sundays, I was at the gym. On Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, after school, after homework, growing up from when I was three four five years old my dad was played still played basketball in men's leagues and adult league and i was with the gym i was at the gym with him every night until 9 p.m 10 p.m um just always where where a lot of my friends were playing you know video games i was i was finding a ways to get into a gym get into finding a way to play some type of sports um i was a big basketball player traveled aau Um, I went from football season right into high school basketball or or middle school or, or, you know, modified basketball. Then I went right from basketball season to to travel basketball in the spring to lacrosse, uh, then right into football camp starting in June, July, in the summer into football season. So um, we just, it was a sports family. It was just, I missed out on a lot. What people would say was a lot and I missed out on parties and, and this and that, but I wasn't. I wasn't missing out in my opinion, I was having opportunities that no one else was, was having because of sports. And so um, it just always kept me going. I always, I wanted to play college football. Um, I wanted to play on the big stage sometime. Um, NFL was always my dream, but I knew there were steps. And so it was just, I just led a different life. I never drank, I never partied. I still to this day, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't do drugs, nothing. I'm as straight edge as they come. and everyone asked me why, like, why, you know, why don't you want to have a drink? And they're like a little put back when I say, no, thank you, I don't drink. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm outgoing. I'm outspoken. I'm, I'm a big guy. And I'm just like, I never have never. It was always a distraction. It was always, I don't know, people, it's just a different mindset. I've just always had a different mindset than people. And uh, sports was a great uh, way for me to focus on, on what I really like to do and, and always better myself. And, um, and it, it's taken that out of sports, and I've I've rolled that into the the world of business and and where I am today. So it's um, I don't know if I answered your question.
0: I don't remember. Yeah, your it's question. it's great. it's a great it sounded great. really good on my <laughs> end. It sounded really good. So that's <laughs> well, that's a great answer, Kyle. All right. Yeah. So like talking about you know your your father and how he would play sports, and you're staying that laser focus. Yep. on your goals and dreams and that you're different than other people yep. uh, kind of tell me when you knew hey you can play at least college football what age were you when you knew that that's going to happen for sure so it
4: was my sophomore year of high school um, I remember it was, I was at the Penn State college football camp okay and um, I was a quarterback in high school quarterback in college up, up until my junior year um and we were at the penn state camp and i got um i won the award for the biggest arm so they do a quarterback competition back then i'm i don't know if they still do it it was you know who could throw the ball the farthest and i threw you know i was a sophomore in high school and i was a bit i'm six six i was a big kid and i had a i had a big arm but i wasn't a baseball guy just naturally had a, a big arm um and uh I threw the ball. I think it was like 72 yards wow. and Wow. For a, for a 10th grader. It was, you know, I won the big arm award and that's when, you know, Penn state wasn't looking at me at the time, but you know, then some of the other smaller D one schools that are at these bigger camps, the Delaware's the Hofstra back at the time, you know, they started, you know, talking to me because they, you know, this kid's got a big kid, big arm, good athlete. Um, and that's when I kind of knew like, you know, Hey, I can start. You know, I'm getting a lot of looks for football. My idols again were Brett Favre and, and the Peyton Mannings. And although I was also a really good basketball player, I actually had more offers to go play basketball in college than football. I just I just felt like I could go further with football. Um, The six six is an average basketball player. A six right. quarterback is a above average quarterback, right? Then and um it was ahead of me. I think at Delaware it was a transfer from Pitt. It was Joe Joe Flacco was a I Flacco, transfer. yeah. So I was watching him. I I always watched him because he was a tall guy like me, right? So he was a a few years ahead of me, um, really, really big arm. Um, And so guys like that made me think, like, look at all the great quarterbacks in the NFL. They're all that 6'5", 6'6", size. And I was like, you know, that could be me. And uh, my story of how I got to Mississippi State is just, um, it's funny. So my backup quarterback in high school was a, a kid named Dave Boister. His grandfather was a guy named Tom Boister, who was the director of pro personnel for the New York Giants. So he worked in the Giants. Was there for thirty years. He's the guy who drafted Eli Manning. You know, he's he, he's a he was a big name in the organization for a while. He came up to me my sophomore year in high school and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to play college football?" And I said, "I'd love to." He goes, "Would you love to? Would you like? To, would you have any interest in playing in the SEC?" And I'm like absolutely right i'm thinking tennessee peyton manning i'm thinking georgia florida all the all the sec that in the northeast you only get a few sec games it's not like football in the south and he's like would you would you ever consider going to mississippi state and i was like i have no idea where that is i was like i I need to pull up a map i've never heard of them are they what you know i i'd nothing never and um so by the end of my uh senior year i had gone down on a visit uh so his college roommate he went to mississippi state back in the 50s his college roommate was a guy named rocky felker who was the personnel director at mississippi state so that was where the connection was um, i fly down there with my dad we fly from uh LaGuardia to atlanta from atlanta to columbus mississippi you get off a of one terminal airport And the baggage claim is under a tent and the rental car is a double wide (laughs) coming out of LaGuardia. My dad, born and raised in New York city. is like, what the heck are uh, i I'll keep it PG. What the hell heck are we doing here? What, where where are we? Why are we here? And then you get off, you drive off the airport onto a dirt road. This was back in 2007, 2006. So a lot of development since then, but at that point in time, Mississippi State, the football program was just coming off a lot of sanctions from the previous head coach, NCAA violations, recruiting issues, paying players, this and that. New head coach, Sylvester Croom, came in to clean up the program. And I was getting looked at by bigger schools in the Northeast, not bigger schools, different schools in the Northeast, Ivy Leagues, uh, UConn, Syracuse, Boston College, a lot of the higher academic and so he goes down there and said, look, we're our scholarships got cut in half because of our current issues, uh, you know, with the with the sanctions. But you would basically be able to come here and almost the full ride academically because uh, the academic standards in Mississippi are a little bit below those of the northeast. And we drive out there in the middle. We're driving through cow pastures and we're talking deep Mississippi into this gorgeous campus with this ma- i mean it was massive to me it's 60,000 person stadium you know double sided and i'm like i'm i'm i like i stepped on campus i'm like i'm coming here this is this is <laughs> and um my dad's like well let's let's take a step back let's consider all the options i was like there's no other option this is where like this is the football this is the south right this is college heaven and then I just remember I, I went down. I, I ended up going there. Uh, went down there um, middle of the year. I had gone to prep school for a year, so transferred middle of the year. Get there in January. Off-season workouts. Everything's going well. We get there that first game, fall camp my freshman year, true freshman year, and it's LSU opening night at home, and we lose 49 nothing, and they were down to we lost all three quarterbacks out in the first game. <laughs> So it was down to a Juco transfer, a walk-on, and then me. And I was very nervous if we continue to play the game anymore that I might have to actually play. Um, but it was it was great. It was a life-changing experience for me. Some of my best friends are still from Mississippi State that I talk to every day. And uh, I'll tell anybody listening that college football in the South, especially in the SEC, is a whole another animal. It was back then. It still is. Um, and... Uh, I loved every minute of it. So that's my, how I got to, I know, I'm sure the question was coming. How do you get to Mississippi State from New York? So I was, <laughs> no, I, I,
0: I like the the story, Kyle, because you're, to, you're a good storyteller and you told the story. And that's what people, and, and it's interesting, Greg, always to look at that. My recruiting story, I played division three college basketball at Western Maryland, which is McDaniel college. And then I ended up going to go play at the Roche. I'm a legitimate six foot 10. I was not the greatest basketball player, but I was pretty good. But I got recruited to go become a professional wrestler, put on all this weight and was a pro wrestler for X amount of years. So that's another story, Kyle, <laughs> for another time, another place. Yep. But I understand that recruiting process. And you yep. go to all the schools, they, 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 you see these different things and you're like, okay, SEC, big crowd. I'm not playing Ivy League in front of t- uh, 10,000 people or playing t yep. two. So it was a, it, it a no brainer, Greg. You're going to play in front of 60,000 people. Or you're going to play in front of 20,000 that maybe they won't even be 20,000. And are you going to have the opportunity to be in the best league in, in college football, the sec. So there's the no brainer, Greg.
2: Oh, yeah. that's crazy. Kyle, did you get to play that game? That first game?
0: No.
4: And I, I, I unfortunately I had a knee injury. I dislocated my kneecap when I was there in the off season. Um, and then, um, I was I was just a backup for, for a little while. They had some uh coaching changes. Coach Kroom, there's actually, I think, I ESPN 30, for 30 on him. Um, great coach, great man. Um, he was the first black SEC coach. Um, and uh, he came from Green Bay. So he was actually Brett Favre's uh, offensive coordinator in Green Bay. Brett Favre used to come to our practice because he's a Mississippi guy, which was like a dream. Meeting him was a, yeah. a dream come true for me. His Brett Favre's daughter went to Mississippi State. Wasn't my motivating factor. Um, didn't work out. I, I met her once or twice, but um, it was just it was a whole eye opening experience for me. So I was essentially a walk on there. I was on an academic scholarship, but essentially on paper, I was a walk on. And then the new coaches, uh, when Coach Kroom got let go, the new coaches were coming in. Dan Mullins came in um, from Florida as offense coordinator, the head coach. And I made it. He was bringing some of his quarterbacks and his system with him. So I, I actually made that decision uh, to transfer. I transferred up to New Hampshire for my last two years. Which hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I may, maybe wouldn't ha- wouldn't have. Um, New Hampshire was great. Gave me afford me the opportunities. Moved me to tight end. This and that uh, wasn't the path that I had imagined for myself. But you know, that's uh, you know, it is what it is. Worked out well in the end for me. Um, I appreciate all my time and my people at Mississippi State. I appreciate my time at New Hampshire, and uh, ended up uh, again giving me the opportunities to to be a uh, undrafted free agent in the NFL and end up signing with four teams over a few years. So uh, it is what it is. It was, it, it, you know,
0: you gave me the opportunity, and would that opportunity came in as a quarterback? Yeah, you think if you would have stayed quarterback? and not transfer to tight end and played at tight end, could you have played in the NFL and quarterback?
4: I don't know. There were some pretty good talent coming out of Mississippi State when Mullins got there. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Dak Prescott. Uh, he was pretty good. Oh, oh
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, um, pretty good. So, so,
2: so <laughs> I
4: mean, you know, was, there's, yeah. there were some better fits. I, I know how the politics behind college football work and call it politics, but you have relationships with coaches. Coaches leave, and now it's even worse with the NIL rules. We don't we don't have to go there. That's a whole other two-hour podcast, but – you know, there's, you know, there's, there's system quarterbacks in college. It's a big system program. So I didn't think I was a good fit for the Dan Mullen system because it was a run, run, run heavy quarterback hybrid, like the Tim Tebows. Think of a Tim Tebow okay. type. And you're not going to work. That's not going to work. So myself is more of a passing heavy passing. New Hampshire was actually Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator at New Hampshire okay. before his run at Oregon. And, and now UCLA, oh. where it's that run and gun, throw the ball 60 times a game. That was more appealing to me um and then he ended up when i transferred there he had left for oregon so it, there was just a lot of uh constant adversity that i faced throughout my career which at the end of the day made me a, a better person and who i am so um i could i could put my head down and be upset about how it was and it was a really hard decision for me to leave mississippi state because i had built great friends i loved it i loved the campus i I still consider myself a Mississippi State person, Uh, even though I'm not a true alumni. I didn't graduate there. I go back to the games every year. I have friends there. I have, uh, you know, so it's uh, my my heart and my home is in uh, Mississippi State, even though I live in Atlanta now. But um, that's it it was all a great experience that that molded me to who I am today. So uh,
2: pretty incredible stuff. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned you had the chance to uh, be free agent at four NFL teams. Yep. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, one of them was new England. Yes. You know, being that that's my home team. There you go. You had a great story to tell me about new England Patriots.
4: So I do New England Patriots. So I don't know if this is exactly how it played out, but I was with the Cardinals. My first, my first NFL season, I was with the Cardinals in the whole off season through camp, uh, got let go. Uh, was dealing with a back injury, got healthy. New England brought me in for a workout like four times. So on the Patriots was a guy that you guys probably know, a guy named Joe Judge, who was the head coach of the Giants. He's now back as the OC quarterback's coach of the Patriots today. Joe Judge was a my GA at Mississippi State. So he was the GA at Mississippi State, which is why I said you got to know again coaches knowing you, this and that. So uh-huh. he could he was able to speak for who I was as a person. He knew me when I was younger. Um, his his now wife uh, is, was on the soccer team at Mississippi State. Um, and so having a familiar face and knowing somebody walking into an organization like that is a big help. He was a special teams coach. Um, he's a brilliant coach. He's very, very good, very professional. Um, and I'm sure my name being on the board and him being like, yeah, I know that kid, let's at least get him in, um, it was great. Um, I was in and out. Uh, I was a good fit for them. I'm that blue collar, hardworking guy. I'm not the most talented tight end in the league, but I will give you 120% effort every single snap, which is what the the Patriots way. Um, and, you know, just being able to be there for, for the offseason with them. Um, unfortunately i i was uh, there cuz Gronk was injured i was Gronk's i was one of their uh, i added depth to their roster in the offseason when Gronk was recovering as soon as he got healthy i was uh, soon shipped off to the cleveland browns which is a downgrade uh, to say the least in a positive way <laughs> Um, and that year was 2014 when the uh, the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl so I went from possibly winning a Super Bowl ring to a stint with the Cleveland Browns uh, which didn't pan out Um, and then I ended up with the uh, uh, Oakland Raiders for my last uh, my last stint their whole coaching I was there with uh, Jack Del Rio and that whole squad and their whole coaching staff got fired halfway through the season. Uh, David Allen, excuse me, was the head coach. Jack Jalrio was was there. The whole coaching staff got fired and they let, you know, a bunch of players. And that was my last uh NFL appearance. But um listen, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in NFL history. It's not arguable. They run a, a tight ship there, which, which is why some players don't love it. Um, but they wanna run a winning ship. Um, and the same reason why some players don't like going to play for Nick Saban at Alabama is because he—he, it's his way or the highway. But his way is the winning way. I don't care if you like him, you don't like him. If you're if you hate Alabama and you went to Auburn, you still have to have respect for these guys. And and Bill Belichick was—I uh, learned in my my short my my short few few weeks with the Patriots, um, I learned almost more about football than I learned in. You know, ten years playing just because of how he teaches the game, what he teaches, sitting in a locker room and, and in meetings with Tom Brady and and Julian Edelman and all these guys, and and uh, being on practice with him and catching passes from Tom Brady. I wow. mean, that alone is a, a life yeah. life changing experience for anyone, even if it wasn't on a, on the game field.
0: It doesn't matter. You got, you got, matter. You, got I, you got
4: you got paid for to play with Tom Brady. I got paid to it. catch passes from Tom Brady, whether it was in practice or in a game. I, you know. I tell people I had no business being in the NFL. I was a college walk-on. I transferred. I became a tight end my junior year up at a one double a school. Um, I played limited my senior year as a tight end in New Hampshire. Uh, and then coming out was the year 2011, 10, 11 was the year of the lockdown. So there was no off season. There was no spring training. There was no, I wasn't invited in any camps, none of that. Um, and then I had to literally come out. I was out of college a year and moved down to Miami paid my own way, got a job and trained with uh, Pete Bomarito down at Bomarito Performance for the whole year in hopes to get another opportunity to, to try to make it to an NFL team. So I went from an undrafted free agent with no one knew who I was, no business being in the NFL, moved my whole, and I said, I don't want to give up on this, went down to Miami, trained, worked my ass off, got a job at a nightclub, uh which is very hard to train at 8 a.m when you were up to working till 4 a.m i will yeah, tell you right. that um but i did it and uh you know it it uh it was to me it was worth it every step of the way so wow it's you know, such a great story
0: yeah. uh just to know I, n- I, don't, I don't i don't
4: tell it enough like that i don't I tell you, all you that do. so that's what we but,
0: need to talk we need to talk that's what i do is help people's stories. I loved your brand on LinkedIn, your look, we got to talk about that An additional call down the line to find out what you're doing, because Mm -hmm. I know I understand this. I'm a legitimate 6'10", you're 6'6", so we're going to have to at one point hang out uh, whenever I'm in Atlanta, hang Mm -hmm. out together and all that stuff. But what I hear in this story is perseverance, a story of perseverance. How many people get the opportunity to play in the NFL, get four teams Get to play with these amazing people, but to have that story with the Patriots and, and get four teams check. to
4: sign me, and all of them yeah. were. I walked in on a workout basis to as a tryout, and all four of them signed me based off
0: of one workout. That just shows in that in these stories. I mean, literally, I, I hear these stories all the time, and that's what the NFL is about. People have to understand. The NFL is about if you can work with people, you can do certain things. There was a lot of players better than you in Mississippi State. And you made it to the NFL, and they didn't. So there you yeah. go. That's a because how many – the number is crazy. So it's a business, and you yeah. understand that business. So I'm going to go right now, Greg, just to ask him a question about life after football, what he's yeah. currently doing. And you have one more question for Greg. You can ask Kyle that after that. So tell me life after football. What are you doing?
4: So I'm currently doing like 500 things. Um, I am, the, the, the big thing is uh, two things right now. One is I'm, I'm one of the um, business directors and advisors for Comcast Sports Tech. So we run a sports, there's a Sports Tech Accelerator here in Atlanta um, and it's a 12 week program. We bring in 10 startup companies that are in the sports world every year. We help them develop them. Um, improve their their product, their sales pitch, their deck, uh, help them in any ways they need it. Um, It's a hands-on program. And then we take them out to the Comcast partners, uh, which is NBC Sports, the PGA, uh, NASCAR, WWE, and we help build those technologies and innovation for those sports entities. Uh, We then also continue after the program, take them out and help where we need it. So if, if the NFL is interested or major league soccer or or wherever they need help with, or maybe just commercial businesses. Uh, Comcast has you know, their, their commercial side, Comcast Business, Comcast Food and Beverage. There's a lot of plug-in plays for these technologies outside of sports as well. And I continue to help a lot of those startups. Um, the other thing I'm doing right now is, it's also a health tech startup, it's called Managed Health. Um, it is a, it's a proactive wellness, uh, health and wellness uh, benefits program for businesses. Um, It also comes with a lot of tax incentives uh, provided under the Affordable Care Act. And we go into any companies, 50 to 50 million employees, it doesn't matter the size, and we help them offer um, a great um, additional benefit to their employees. It's not, it's separate and away from major medical. It's a total, uh, it's it's a wellness preventative, how to help you lose weight, how to help you quit smoking, how to help you lower your A1C, whatever it is. And for that, it offers tax deductions to the employees and uh, FICA tax savings to the the businesses. So, for instance, a business with a thousand employees, uh, if all employees were enrolled in our program, they could save up uh, about $600,000 a year in in payroll taxes. Is that your business?
0: Is that your business, Kyle?
4: Yeah, it's called Managed Health. You can go to managedhealth.com. Um, that's what I'm doing now that the Comcast program's is over. Um, I'm on I'm on the advisory board for for Managed Health um, as and but now that I have a little bit more free time, I'm spending a lot more time doing that. Um, and so I do a lot of business consulting. I work with uh, about six or seven of the startups in the program from the last two years. I, I keep helping out with them um and then i'm i'm doing the the managed health thing right now which is taking off especially with the current economic situation employers are looking for ways to a save money on taxes which we help with b add great benefits to their employees especially with a lot of the health concerns going on in the world today if you haven't paid attention for the last few years um and then b it's it's a way to kind of help fight you know help on the tax savings for the employees a little bit it's not doesn't compete with inflation, but it's a, it helps a little bit for them to save, uh, with their, some of their pre pre-tax deductions. So it's a really great product that we're rolling out. We just did a partnership with ADP, uh, last month. So ADP has 26,000 businesses that they do payroll with. So we're starting to implement our program with some of the ADP, uh, companies as well. And, and we just have a lot, a lot going on. That's a big name, but, uh, we work with, uh, you know, McDonald's and Amazon and, and some really large entities. So this is, uh, we're excited about uh, the future of, of managed health. So, all right,
0: Greg, you have one more question for Kyle.
2: Great. So, two two quick ones to tie into one. So, obviously, you've got a great entrepreneurial uh, Ben Kyle, and uh, where did you get that from? Um, and in in the entrepreneurial world in business, do you prefer like the operations side, marketing, or sales? So,
4: I got it from my dad. answer your first question so my dad was a financial advisor worked on wall street growing up uh then uh started working it was back in the day with smith barney which is now travelers group there's a throwback for you for all you financial people listening but then he went off on his own and when it was when me and my sister got to about middle school that he went off on his own and looking back now the reason is because it gave him more flexibility for a better work-life balance so my dad uh never missed a sporting event our entire lives for me and my sister and if we had competing events my mom was at one and my dad was at the other and that was something that they always prided themselves on and it meant a lot to us it meant a lot to me and because my dad went off on his own it gave him that affordability right he could still make a good living provide for his family but have that quality of life too if i if if i have a travel AU tournament in wherever if i'm in again we grew up in new york we have a tournament in florida or or texas or wherever he could be there and come to the games and still work and take calls from wherever so seeing that growing up is kind of what it, it was more of the entrepreneurial world for me was more about the quality of life the money the benefits the all that is is also very great but for me it was quality of life i'm married i have two kids i have two girls a three and a one-year-old um we we want more kids down the road and being able to sit at home right now and take these calls and then i can take a break for 10 minutes and go see my kids and and play with them and this and that is i think something how the world is shifting which growing up that wasn't existing right it was i see i leave at eight i commute oh, to work Be right. home at five be home it's at 30. six be home at seven if my dad had to commute into wall street every day he would leave at 5 36 and be home at eight at nine every night and i never see him right my dad grew up without a father his father left their family abandoned him when he was four and so he made it his goal in his life to be a great father to us, which he was. And that showed me how to kind of really want to be that entrepreneurial spirit, being able to work for yourself, being able to be flexible. I did. I've worked for other companies in the past. I, I think there's a lot of great businesses out there. I I don't mind working for, for companies, um, especially in today's world. There is a lot more flexibility with working remote and, and hybrid and all that kind of stuff. So. I'm not closed off to if a company wants to to retain my services, I'm I'm all for it. Um, but that entrepreneurial spirit again, there's a risk reward on it if you don't know what you're doing. But there's it's a it's a quality of life thing for me exactly. and and family time and and, um, and and freedom and flexibility is is a big uh, believer and for for me in my life. Um, your second question was,
2: yeah, operations, marketing, or sales.
4: Um, I'm a big strategy, business development, sales, sales guy, uh, client facing, um, I'm an art of the deal guy. I love, I love closing big deals. I love, I love, uh, client facing relationships. Um, I don't, I love building things. I love, that's why I love this, this accelerator program. I'm, we're building, helping companies build, yeah. we're helping startups grow, um, we're we're making a difference. It's that that is there's a, it's a twofold, right? It's the the, the the building, it's the growth and the building and that mindset that comes with it, which has been a part of my whole life. Plus, it's the doing doing well by doing good side of it, right? Yeah. I'm I'm I, I can take care of my family while helping out others, helping out others grow, lifting other people up, right? The what, the tides, uh, you know, the, exactly. the rising tides raise all ships kind of deal. I'm a big believer in that um, personally uh, for my family, for businesses that I work with. if Everyone can can be better, be more positive, be more optimistic. Um, if I can help people close big deals and help other people who have these dreams of their companies and their startups take to the next level, I'm,
0: I'm all for that. All right, we're gonna, we're running out of time. Yep. Kyle, here's the thing, I'm telling you right now, I see you going out there and making money as a speaker. Because really the stories that you could be telling about Belichick, all those different things, what's happening in a chat sometime, best place we can find information on you, Kyle, where can we go? Is it LinkedIn? I would already-
4: just say, yeah, you can, Kyle Offray, I'm the only Kyle Offray in the world. Uh, you can search me pretty easily on Google. Um, if you need me, I'd love to be a speaker. If TEDx is listening, I'd love, a, I'd love to do a TED Talk. Um, or whoever else uh, i've always club. wanted to be a speaker and, and motivational speaker i just never known about how yeah. to go that so well.
0: we're going to definitely talk i have a, i have those ideas you need to write a book doesn't he greg he needs to write a book 100 yeah There's, with his story and everything because everyone wants to play in the nfl his story was different he has different stories and he has that entrepreneur mindset all right and your website yes. again greg
2: yeah toss c3.com
0: all right fantastic appreciate it guys uh thanks again And Neil Greg, thank you. All right. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.